Welcome to Fair Play on Justice News. I'm your host, Imran Siddiqui. Joining me today is Mrs. Paula Kensu, the wife of Temujin Kensu, who is serving life in prison for the alleged shooting death of a Port Huron College student, Scott Macklem, in 1986. Mr. Kensu has maintained his innocence for over three decades now and is currently fighting for his freedom from inside the prison in Michigan. Thank you for your time, Mrs. Kensu, and welcome to Fair Play. Thank you so much for having me. Most people never see the family side of an incarcerated individual. At the end of the day, he's also a human being. So Paula, when someone's husband is incarcerated for a crime he says he did not commit and is sent to life in prison for that, and then they don't want to let him go, what kind of an effect does that have on their spouse, their kids, and their family? That's a great question, Imran. And I can't speak to the to the kids um, because we don't we don't have children. But um, for the wives specifically, I can speak to that, and I can just say that it is just incredibly stressful. And it's not a fight; it's a flat-out war. And I say that because every single day brings new challenges. Typically, when somebody is incarcerated. The Department of Corrections does such an effective job of muffling and silencing their voice to the extent that their written communications are delayed or never um, produced for the um, incarcerated individual. And in addition, um, even the mail is delayed or lost, never de- never delivered. Mm-hmm. And then the communications on the phone are always a struggle. So not only do we only get 15-minute calls before they're cut off, the phone system is atrocious. And the service that they use that these uh, prisons contract with to provide the service do not uphold to their service level agreements. And so the availability of the phone calls, the system itself is just untrustworthy and it's unstable. And the direction, the Department of Corrections takes zero accountability or initiative to fix any of those issues. So when, when, when people across America are celebrating holidays and they're enjoying their time with their families, what happens to those who are incarcerated? Well, I mean, I know for myself, it, it's a very depressing time. It's a, it's, it's so hard. I, you literally, for me, I just, I shut off all media and shut it out and kind of try and treat it like it's just a regular every day. You know, it's just another day because it's so painful. Like, it's so painful to, you know, even, I, I didn't even have my Christmas tree lit. Like, it's just, it's just difficult because it's depressing. And you know that your loved one is behind bars and he can't be with you and he can only call a few times. He can't open up gifts. He can't sit down to the family meal. He's not, he's just not here. And it's just, and you know he's innocent. And it's just, it's so hard. It is so hard. And then, you know, I mean, I just, when he does call, you know, you, you try to give them hope and positivity and you try and hide all of your hurt and put it aside so that they don't hear it. Yeah. Um, and then for me, I always try and make it really special for him. So I wrote him a poem for Christmas and I asked him if I could give him one of his, one of his Christmas gifts. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? He's like, you're going to open up a gift and tell me what it is. And I'm like, no, I said, I wrote you a poem for Christmas. And he just, he loved that. It was very special because it was about us and our life. And um, that's what I try and do because, you know, he deserves a gift on Christmas and it's just hard. And sorry, by any chance, would you be comfortable if you read that poem to to the people? Um, sure. You might need to give me a second to find it, but... Um... Yeah, I mean, uh, it is difficult, Paula. Uh, I mean, you know, I can say that I understand, but what does that really mean? Because 
most of us have the privilege to open refrigerator doors and take out food and stuff like that and, and be around our loved ones when we sleep and wake up. So to begin to understand what you guys are going through is almost impossible because you have to be in that kind of situation to understand what you're going through. But if you could share that poem, that would at least give us an insight into what families are really going through because the stories the, the the people's faces might be different but the stories are synonymous they have a thread in common which is incarceration of innocent people okay so here is the poem it says a christmas eve poem from the ninja bear forest Twas the night before christmas and all through the house pupper cats trained like ninjas and scared away the only mouse with Pa in his recliner and me in my jammies, we had just settled in to watch our TV programmies. When outside a loud noise that arose such a clatter, Pa grabbed his ninja sword to see what was the matter. With my infrared goggles and Pupper Cat's standing guard, Pa threw on his tabby shoes and dashed into the yard. Ninja Faith was the next to dash into the snow. Hope right behind her muttered, I'm sure it's just a doe. And Ma clung to Baby Bear as tight as she could while Pa and the pupper cats took off into the woods. One thing's for sure, Ma thought to herself, it sounded a lot bigger than a tiny green elf. Turned out it was none other than the big red, big man in red. His sleigh was in shambles. He looked at King Bear and said, If I don't get help from you, Ninja King Bear, then Christmas will be ruined for kids everywhere. King Bear looked at the mess lying there on the ground and said, Good thing I didn't ship these pupper cats back to the pound. It's not a King Bear that you need, Santa Claus. This will require both the magical touch of pupper ninja cat paws. I don't understand what you're trying to say. A magic paw can actually get me back on my way? Well, yes, I'm quite certain it will take more than one, but if Queen Hunky was here, it'd already be done. Santa t stood there quite helpless, confused by it all. As he stood and he watched, he was shocked when he saw. Ninja Hope put her paw down into the pile, and snow crystals flowed after just a short while. Joy sprung out of Mom's arms, and Faith jumped eagerly in, and before our own eyes, the sleigh began to assemble together again. With twelve magical paws jumping around in the snow, Ma grabbed King Pa by the arm and said, Come on, hon, let's go. Our work here is done. Santa can get on his way. And soon he and the reindeer took off in the sleigh. The queen of the forest looked down with such pride, and our dear Dory Pup is right there by her side. So I'll close this for now, but the journey doesn't end here. There are many more adventures of hybrid ninja pupper cat bears. Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. May you never cross a ninja king bear in a fight. What you're saying is that... Hamilton started, um, he started this with a very beautiful poem to me. And, um, and, uh, and so it, it goes back a little bit further, but we, we basically, you know, started our life with Hunky and Dory. Hunky was our, our first set of, uh, our, one of our first puppies, and she, she passed away in May, and, um, we call her the um, queen of the ninja bear forest and Temujin just wrote a gorgeous poem to me also um, that kind of came before that and it's a little bit long but it's just incredibly beautiful it's uh, you know I, I can send you, I can post that one as well but you know I mean it's just this life that we created it's this kind of it, it for him um, it, it helps his imagination it helps him think about like what he's coming home to and it gives us something to think about and kind of play together on the phone and talk about you know our, our life were you able to share that with him yes so i mean what you're saying is that because you guys i mean you can't just open the door and say hey temujin come on and have dinner so you got to have alternative creative ways to connect yes i have the first poem if you'd like me to read that it's Go ahead. very beautiful it's from temujin to me Go ahead. Okay, this one's called, this is the first poem, this is the poem that started it kind of all. And Temujin wrote this to me, it's called King Bear and the Fairy Bear Ninja. Okay. A long time ago, in a land still untamed, there lived a great bear, Temujin he was named. 
His power was such he feared no mortal man, for he ruled and commanded the Ninja Bear clan. Through 10,000 battles he endured not a scratch, his Ninja Bear skills no human could match. But his heart was like ice and the center was stone, though lord of the kingdom, the great bear was alone. Women would worship and fall at his feet, but none won his favor, none could compete. With the woman he dreamt of most every night, a creature of fantasy, shining and bright. She consumed all his thinking, no answers came clear, so each eve he drowned sorrow in great flagons of beer. To awake in the morning, hungover and sad, this won't do, he declared, I'll soon surely go mad. So he called in the wizards, they counseled, beware, you are under the spell of a ninja fairy bear. What is this nonsense? There is no such thing. I would know for sure if there was, for I'm the ninja bear king. But the wizards replied, they're a long ancient clan of mystical creatures so rare seen by man. But now and again, one will fall for a mortal and use magic to win him, then cross through the portal that separates their world from that of our own, and that is what happened to our king on his throne. Be gone, you drat fools, the bear shouted in rage, before I have my guards throw you all in a cage. Then the king heard a cackle through the cold morning fog and strangely the croaking of a tiny green frog. When approached an old crone with a limp and a smile, I can make this right, sire, if you'll listen a while. Yes, a warrior born from your very first day, but you've never given your cold heart away. You say you fear nothing, yet this isn't true. You don't even fear death, but I know what you do. You're scared to your core, afraid to trust love, even the kind heaven sends from above. So you live in your sorrow, in pain and in sadness. But the bear said, enough, all this talk is sheer madness. I fear nothing, he yelled with a roar like a beast. I once killed a red dragon, then sat down to feast. I defeated a griffin and a miniature bull, then crashed a boar's head before that day was full. My enemies tremble at just my soft word. Of any more fearsome have you ever heard? But the crone dryly crackled, gazed at him, and then said, Say this prayer, mighty bear, or this night you'll be dead. Your heart it will shatter just like stone and ice when struck with the hammer now say this prayer thrice king bear sensed her power her words struck him numb and he knew to defy her meant death would soon come so he bowed his great head and agreed to her plea she sang as she said now repeat after me my fear is now gone i have only one prayer god send my ninja fairy bear god send my ninja fairy bear God send my ninja fairy bear. With the third recitation, the room filled with fire, King Bear was consumed with such love and desire. An energy poured from the crone like the sun, for she and the fairy bear ninja were one. Great sparks filled the air, charged with magic and light, and there stood his vision, yes, shining and bright. The crone's beauty was blinding, transformed by his prayer from an old wizened woman to his own ninja fairy bear. As a bonus, he saw that the tiny green frog was transformed as well into Ninja Pupper Dog. The tale of their love was known through all the land. I hear they're still bear, Papa, Baby Bear, Baby Fairy Pupper Dog of the Ninja Bear clan. So, I know that was really long. <laughs> no. So, but, uh, but here is, you know, all his plight, he's putting it together in these words. That's what he's trying to do. And then he's also trying to show the ray of hope that he has so here the ninja bear is you the ninja bear fairy yes you're coming to rescue this guy and he's the king yes yeah and he's in that prison where mm -hmm. they've put a dungeon mm -hmm. a dungeon yeah i mean you see what's going on so this is uh i mean you know while you were reading this i was trying to picture him in that cell writing this down yeah absolutely it's yeah it's very symbolic for him in in both reality and fantasy kind of in like he is you know in that dungeon and he's trapped in the cage and he knows how that feels and he's you know filled with desire and he thinks about this woman that he wants to be with and 
just out of his reach and I don't know we just kind of you know we there's another poem later on that goes and it and it basically says how I rescue him out of there you know I mean and it, when we just kind of continue with our story and it but it's ours and we you know I mean it just gives us something fun to think about and talk about and we we play a lot on words he's very creative with songs and lyrics and and similar so it just makes it it just makes it more bearable for him to think about coming home and getting out of there and his situation in general what is really interesting is the fact that a man who is innocent and we have the evidence i mean anyone who's listening to this conversation thinking that he's not they should just you know just google it and research do your part and you know mm-hmm. or just go to our website but anyone who's incarcerated and he's innocent and he can get out and yet he's saying that he found some kind of freedom within that confinement mhm i mean it would be really interesting if you are okay if you could read that poem too because he's saying that that poem describes how you saved him but he's still in prison so how did that occur <laughs> um i don't know if i can i don't know if i ever published that one um but i did you know i it's interesting the very first poem uh, I, i'll look for it Imran. um the first poem that i just read off to you i actually had etched in uh wood and it's um it's here in our house and for him to hang on the wall it's a very long poem but it's two two ginormous pieces of burned wood um and then we've got signs all over that say you know Mary, um fairy bear ninja and ninja bear forest and and, and um I'll look for the the poem. It might take me a few minutes to find of the one that I saved him. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's been an ongoing kind of story that it, it's not gonna. I don't think it's ever gonna end. Even when he comes home, we're always gonna, you know, talk about the the Ninja Bear Forest. I mean, that's what we call this our house, our home that we built here. And um, and when I say built, I don't mean we built the house. I mean we purchased it and we built on the the story as we we moved here and um I just can't wait for him to come home and get to it all and see all of the surprises and the different things. I mean, I have a cute little ninja star, a throwing star. It's a magnet on the fridge. It's just cute little things that help him know that this place is his and ours. You know, it's it's all ours. Yeah, I mean, he's going to, you know, when he's alone in there when they close the doors, not the doors. Imran when they close the cages they you know he goes back into this solace in, in, in into this isolation exactly and what is he going to do i mean he's obviously you know the exit is to think about what you what you're saying and, you know all those things are, because these are not fantasy that you build this and you have all this around you these are all realities but you're just living them alone whereas for him exactly whereas for him it's like a whole world out there you know it's like yeah you know if god wishes i'm going to get out and then i have so much to look forward to and probably those who 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 confined him you know hate that and may totally despise it you know and they're uh biting their nails like why 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 should this guy get out even if he's innocent why should we let him go yeah we need to protect the system we need to protect each other yep It's crazy. It is. Do you think you can find that poem? I mean, you can take your time. Um, I'm seeing I'm reading one right now. I'm not sure if this is the one. No, this is a The thing is that to read to go into that kind of mind, that is unique because we don't hear that. Yeah. I found let's see this one I think. Let me see if this is it. I'll I'll read this one. I'm not 100% sure if this is it. This is another another one of the poems. The idea is to get that inside of what you coming into his life because you know prior to you coming into his life what he said in the interview with us was that it was there was a huge void he was begging god for help mm-hmm. so i i said to him that hey uh, temujin it's it's like god no it's not like it is god sent allah as a mercy to you and then he said yeah and then he started talking about it if you can listen to that in the interview but i did yeah to hear what he said to you mhm uh would be unique 
Yeah, this one is, uh, I think this is it. Uh, pretty long, but it, it's, it's about hunky and how hunky. So a little background on this one. So when I wrote to, to Temujin first, um, it was, you know, on JPay. And at that time, I was, you know, sitting in my house um, up near Lexington, which is where the um, the the uh, victim in the case lived in a very nearby close town. And so, I, and of course, since then I've moved far away. Um, but what I year was that? That was in 2019. It was in December of 2019 that okay. I was sitting on my bed, I was watching TV, kind of reading through my Bible, had my puppies on my bed. This was um, when I had, I think I just, you know, I still had Hunky and Dory at that time. No, 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 not not Dory. I, I sorry, I'm sorry, I um, was wrong. I just had Hunky and, um, you know, she was laying on the bed with me. And so this poem is called Hunky the Master Conspirator. <laughs> and it says, uh, the, the Ninja Bear Forest lost its Sweet Queen, Hunky Punk Ninja on May 17. Now that, of course, is all. Sorry, I'll just digress. I, this is after I moved. I wrote this um, after Hunky passed away um, in May of, the, of 2020. So, so the Ninja Bear Forest lost its Sweet Queen, Hunky Punk Ninja, on May 17. She was a good pupper dog who approved all the swords, and the purest of love from her heart was outpoured. She defended the kingdom with all that she had in hopes that she'd soon meet her pa slash dad. And from there, he would be the new alpha, the king, and the greatest protection to the forest he'd bring. Mom always thought that when puppers die, they go up to heaven to live up in the sky. She believed that this was always true until Hunky surprised her clear out of the blue. What Mom didn't know on the 17th of May was that a plot to heal her heart was already well underway. You see, it was Hunky, the ninja that led Mom to find two ninja pupper cats when that was not at all on her mind. Hunky conspired with Pa as she'd done in the past, and soon their plan to get pupper cats was final at last. Hunky told Pa it's hard to watch Mom mourn but I happen to know two rare ninja pupper cats were born. They're perfect for the new Kensu clan in the woods. I can train them in secret paw, just buy them black ninja hoods. It will be our secret, don't tell Mama, and I'll lead her to pupper cats using my magical paw. And that's it, it was final. There was nothing more to say. Pa agreed to ninja pupper cats to be his on that day. He sent money to mom and told her his bear paw was down. She had to take the money and the truck into town. Mom huffed and she puffed and said, hmm, I don't know where. Pa said, whoa, whoa, wait, aren't you the best shopping bear? She didn't know that Hunky behind the scenes was on task to lead her to new pupper cat ninjas in mass. For From her, Hunky hid their real identity, ninja Black Ninja masks made it so she couldn't quite see. They were a hybrid of pupper, fox, kitten, squirrels, and bears, the rarest hybrid of ninjas found in thousands of years. And that's how the story of ninja puppers, cats, started out. Hunky and Pa conspired again, and of that there is no doubt. She was the best pupper dog who wants the best for the clan, and she trains in the woods to this day on pupper cat land. But alone she is not, Dory is with her out there, helping train up the masked pupper cat, Ninja Cat Bears. They train when mom's not looking and they train late at night. The master Hunky and Dory stay, always stay out of sight. And scampers of paws in the woods we still hear, but when we look, Ninja Masters aren't anywhere. So don't be mad, mom, Hunky muttered under her dragon breath. Nothing could keep us from protecting you, not even death. We are here with you always deep in the fairy bear woods, teaching pupper cats to throw stars and wear ninja, black ninja hoods. It was then that mom realized that Hunky was with her the day that somebody gave her the idea to write paw on JPay. I read the article out loud, but I didn't know she could hear. Hunky put a plan into place to join King and baby ninja fairy bear. Don't underestimate the 
power of a sly pupper dog, especially one who once turned into a ninja pupper frog. They will conspire and plan and plot out your fate, and before you know it, you'll be in prison on a first date. It was totally worth it, don't get me wrong, but Hunky's, but it was Hunky's, not my plan, in place all along. And if Hunky and Dory can plot something like this, pupper cats will conspire too. Don't be deceived by their cuteness. So just to recap, here's my stern warning to you. If they can do it to me, they can do it to you. Watch what you say and watch what you think. Pupper ninja cats conspire as fast as we blink. The ninja bear king and fairy bear lived on forever, and it was Hunky Punk Ninja Dog that brought them together. Man, there's a movie going on. (laughs) We're going to write a kid's book. I mean, I mean, just imagine what's going on because you know he's the the nuances he's throwing of the prison, and then he's also trying to step out of those nuances and go into this imaginative mode. Because you know, I mean, this shows us the 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 mental torture that uh, he's going through. That he's trying to juggle between these two two realities I guess one is that he's incarcerated he and you know despite the facts you know he can't get out and the the other reality that hey you know my my spouse or my partner is out there and uh, you know I have a home and a family to go to and they're they're living their life without me yeah and I do try and make it feel like I mean it is it's a family he's got here and you know he lost he lost all of that so many years ago and so you know our dogs are our kids and and I try and really you know I mean I try and really help him realize that 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 you know it, it, it is a real family that he's he's got here waiting for him yeah that should be a lot for uh, those who have their loved ones uh, by their side uh, listening to this you know that should uh, give them um, a lot to think about. But what's the status of of his case right now? His case, what we know and what I can say um, are, are two different things. So <laughs> um, I'm not supposed to be sharing over... Yeah. 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 Without jeopardizing, with, without sharing any sensitive information, mm-hmm. what is going on? So, so what we've been told and what we understand is that you know the conviction integrity unit um, in Michigan is run run through the state attorney general's office and they investigate the case uh, they told us when it began that it would take approximately two years to, to kind of go through all of the information that was just an estimate um, and we're, we're past that now we're just past the two-year mark um, and we think we're we're close to the finish line. The rumblings that we've heard have all been positive, um, and and it and although it's taking you know a lot longer than we would like, mm-hmm. you know we're confident that you know there's no way that with the evidence they could come to any other conclusion but innocent. Um, and so, you know, I, I again I, I don't want to say too much, um, but. You know, everything that we've heard is positive, and we're just trying to, to be patient and wait for um, the CIU to announce the the findings of the investigation formally through the Attorney General, and then subsequently, hopefully, take um, swift action to release him. Now, you know, there's a couple different ways that that can happen, and we're not sure which way uh, that's going to um, occur, but we're confident that you know the attorney general created this conviction integrity unit for the purpose of of helping correct wrongs and although again it's taken a long time you know we're sure that she's going to do the right thing uh if somebody can listen to our show that we did with hemogen it would take them less than two hours to figure out what happened and what should be done mm-hmm. so i i i, I don't understand why it would take two years uh, for that to occur. Mm -hmm. But I guess there's a system and there's a bureaucracy and there's red tape 
and there's also a lot of other factors that go on with it. Sure. But you know, uh, uh, we have seen you constantly tweeting, reaching out to the governor. What role does she play in that, and how has been her response? So, so that's a a very good question, and it, it's it's our hope that she would support the um, conviction integrity unit should they come to her and say. You know, we did this independent, unbiased investigation, and these are our findings. Okay. You know, previously we had sent through an application through the to the governor for clemency, and that was denied in December of 2020. So um, just before Christmas, or I'm sorry, just after Christmas last year, he got a letter um, from the governor's office stating that his clemency was denied. Now that was again, before the um, investigation was concluded by the Conviction Integrity Unit by the State AG's office. Um, And we do know for a fact that the governor takes into consideration the recommendation of the parole board. Now, the parole board in Michigan should not have the authority to weigh in on a case that's based on uh, on evidence, like uh, or, I'm sorry, on innocence, mm-hmm. um, because they do not they do not consider innocence whatsoever. Um, they are looking for things like, are you remorseful? Well, you know, although Temujin's, you know, not he, he's he's sad that that a young man died. He's not remorseful in the sense that he had zero accountability or or anything to do with this crime whatsoever. So no, he's not remorseful in that way. Um, and and you wouldn't be if you were innocent. And, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, the other problem with the governor's, you know, relying on the recommendation of the parole board, in Temujin's case at least, is that they're very biased towards him. Um, you know, in his situation, he happens to be a very, you know, um, successful litigator. He's sued the parole board in the past and he has won. And so they're biased against him. And the MDOC, the Michigan Department of Corrections, similarly, um, you know, a lot of the officers have a bias against him. He, you know, had a $325,000 lawsuit that he won against the Michigan Department of Corrections because of abuses. And they, we know for a fact, uh, told the governor that he had 17 class one misconducts in his file, which was an absolute lie. Because when we uh, subsequently submitted a FOIA for the Department of Corrections to produce the records, they did not produce 17 class one misconducts because there weren't 17 class one misconducts. Mm-hmm. And so the the Department of Corrections refuses to correct their records and they lie to the governor and then the governor bases the decision based on oh my gosh this guy's a really bad guy if he had 17 class one misconducts which are very serious um you know they're they're stab you know stabbing an officer killing somebody i mean they're very serious charges and they don't exist the parole or the the parole board allowed um that information to pass to the governor and it was inaccurate information their own records didn't reflect that that's what was on on record because when we asked for them, they couldn't produce it. So again, Terrible. you know, but by, by then, of course, the damage is already done and the governor has this information. So she's basing her decision on something that a process, a part of a process that should not have any input whatsoever into her decision. Hang on a second. Let me just recap that. In simple English, what you're saying is that the governor of Michigan, Governor Whitmer, has based her decision based on false information that can be validated by presenting facts to prove it? Yes. Damn. Yes. I mean, she's the governor of a state and she's she's fooled by this data? She... By this misinformation. Yes, not even and, that. And, and it, I think it happens probably more often. I think they, you know, yeah. I, I mean, if you're lied to, you don't necessarily know it until somebody exposes it to you, and then by then it, it's 
you know, it's already a foregone conclusion. You've already made your decision, so then you look like you have egg on your face when you, you know, you go back and validate that information. So I don't know that she did go back and validate that information. I don't think any repercussions have been made whatsoever based on us telling her staff, her legal staff, that they were lied to and that this information doesn't exist and that we asked, we, we requested that the, um, the record be corrected. I don't think anything has ever happened out of that. But you did that. You did reach out to them to Absolutely. let them know that, that they have the, the wrong information. Mm-hmm. Wow. And we proved it to him. We we showed yeah. uh, his name is Mark Totten. He's um, he's the staff legal. He's the legal um, counsel for the governor of Michigan, and and Susanna Scarelli, who has since moved on to a different position. Uh, but we provided that information and said this is what you know was the result of the FOIA that we submitted. There are not 17 Class One misconducts. You know, you, the governor was lied to. This isn't true. We requested that these um, these records be corrected. So, if if this this has been proven to be true, then the fact is that the governor should be kind of ashamed of herself because this is terrible that she based her decision based on she made a decision based on it is misinformation, which was what which has been challenged, it couldn't be proven. I mean, it, it's absolutely shameful. It should have been validated. I agree. It should have been validated. But I guess, you know, I mean, at that point, the governor would have went back and said, you know, are you sure this information is correct? Would that would that really go back down all the way to the chain, to the, to the source? And, you know, would they give her anything differently? Or, or are they just going to stand by their misinformation and, you know, She's not going to know any differently unless we we come publicly and and say that. Now the saving grace or the thing that you know we have to look hopeful toward is that you know she can still do the right thing here. She can still once the CIU we know that they can't come to any other conclusion than he is completely 100% innocent. Once they come forth with that determination of that investigation and give that to the governor and say look we thoroughly vetted this case and we turned over every single stone and we researched it thoroughly and we found that he is in fact absolutely innocent this is the ag now if should the ag go to the governor and say look we did this thorough investigation all the governor has to do is say you know upon further review in a conclusive um investigation i you know have have i support the attorney general and and her team on the results of you know their conclusion of what they found here and mm-hmm. and i am granting clemency based on the thorough investigation that's all she has to do is is to come back and say look it was thoroughly investigated this is my attorney general and sh- i know she looked into it and her team looked into it and investigated it, and this is their their conclusion. And we we're hopeful that that's yeah. It's it's a possibility. It's one of the options that uh, could occur in this situation. So we're if if it should go back to the governor, we would hope that she would um, she would find him him innocent and and support her AG. I mean, if she can't support her own attorney general, then we've got bigger things to worry about here in Michigan, right? <laughs> Probably she did Temujin a favor without even intending to or realizing that, uh, yeah, why give him clemency? I mean, he should he should be exonerated. The term should be exonerated. Right. And the state is liable for the screw up that they did. Absolutely. And what and what they tried to cover up at the same time. But uh, I can understand maybe it's kind of difficult for Governor Whitmer to accept that she messed up and and figuring out how to wipe it clean. But the best thing that could be done, I mean, governor, is to stand with justice and stand with the truth. You you know, you have all the evidence, governor, lying in your back house. It's just, you just got to make that, you just got to have the courage to stand up, accept it, be a courageous woman, be a true leader, accept that, yeah, we screwed up, but we're accepting it, and we're trying to make sure it doesn't happen again. This guy is innocent. 
we're letting him go. He's exonerated. Yes, absolutely. But unfortunately, we don't have that kind of courage. You know, we have to remain hopeful. That's all we have, Imran. We, we have to remain hopeful. All right. Yeah. I mean, I could go even further. That thank God I'm not <laughs> in Michigan, because if my if if my governor in Virginia did something like this. I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, I would have to stand up. I would have to stand up and I had to hold my governor accountable because I voted for this guy. Right. Or I supported this guy or this lady to believe that this person would be just and would stand with the truth. Because if you if you can't stand with the truth, then what do you have left? Right. Except falsehood, except astrayness, except... And unfortunately, many governors across the United States, I mean, you know, they they don't issue commutations their first um, first term. You know, they they just don't. They historically don't. And I think that that is starting to hopefully change, um, you know, where you have. I mean, thank God. Yeah. Look at the governor of Oklahoma. I mean, he had some kind of courage. Look at what he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, you know, I mean, and Temujin's case is so much more clear than what was going on with Julius Jones. I mean, in Temujin's case, we have a guy for over three decades who has held on to his innocence. Mm-hmm. And thousands of people, including people who work for the government and independent professionals, have come up with facts saying that this is, this is wrong. And the fact that he's known as the Michigan shame. So the shame would be on the governor's hands Mm -hmm. if this guy is not let go. It would be. And it is. It's it's been, it's been, you know, it's gone through the appellate courts multiple times. He actually won his 2010 habeas stating that he was, you know, that there wasn't the evidence to convict him and that he should be released that he should be either given a new trial or be released. And that was in 2010. That was over a decade ago. And uh, and and then that um, decision was unfortunately overturned. It was taken out of state and overturned um, due to a timing technicality that none of his attorneys were even aware of, having nothing to do with his actual innocence. They just said, oh, too late, you're too, you're too late. And the, the shameful part, going back to the shameful part is it's the system. It's the system's fault because the county that he was wrongfully convicted out of, he submitted uh, over 14 um, uh, FOIA requests for information on his own case that he should have been given, and he wasn't. And they withheld that information for decades. So the fact that he was late was certainly not his fault. It was. It, it all goes back to that systematic denial of his his absolute right to have the information that he should have been given decades ago, and they didn't give it to him. They said it doesn't exist. Yeah. And that was regarding the photo, the phony photo lineups, the um, that were, you know, that, that's all outlined in in some of the the earlier documents um, of you know the witnesses were given different um, photos than than what was shown to the jury. Yeah. So, you know, the case is full of corruption. It's full of all of these different errors and flaws and missteps. And, you know, Temujin suffered. Temujin suffered for decades. And, you know, it's all coming to light. It's all being exposed. And now that we know about it, shame on the, shame on the state of Michigan if they don't let him go. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why people should be uh, upset is because, I mean, me thanking God that I'm not in Michigan doesn't mean that it can't happen in Virginia or the Virginia governor is like the best governor in the world. No, it's it's not that. It can happen anywhere. And even in one of the poems that you read, he, Temujin himself pointed this out, that it can happen to any one of you. Mm-hmm. It can happen to anyone. Because based on someone's false testimony and a testimony of a lunatic, which the prosecutions always love to get, always getting testimony from insane people or crazy ones are locked up in prison or the people who do commit perjury uh, or people who are uh, insane they 
do these things based on their testimony mm-hmm. and uh, what is insane is that they get away with it because people uh, don't do anything about it I mean there should be uh, protest we've definitely tried to support you know like it, it's it's a tricky balance where we don't want to you know we, we, we you don't want to spill the cup you, you don't exactly. you don't want to upset them because you're afraid that you know okay these guys they will listen to this they will see the pressure and then they'll do even more evil things to Temujin mm-hmm. and block it further mm-hmm. so people are people are made afraid and that's why people back off but you have to understand one thing Paula despite whatever that I'm saying or whatever that they're saying or whatever the circumstance you're in, you have to understand one absolute truth, the reality that this is a fight for an innocent man because he was not even there when the crime occurred, man. This guy couldn't even be there. Couldn't get there. A guy who's living off of food stamps is not going to hire somebody to fly in there and kill someone that he doesn't even know and come back. It's so insane, especially when he's got witnesses to prove that he was with them. I mean, how more clear can you get? Somebody asked me once, Imran, how do you know someone's innocent? Well, I, I, I said that we never know. God only knows mm-hmm. who is innocent or not. But what happens in the light of clear evidence? What happens in the presence of absolute truth, undeniable facts? that the guy cannot be right present at that time on that location to commit this crime you know what do you say to, to this then you shrug your shoulders and you say that no nah, who cares i can't do anything about it or do you say no okay i i have the evidence this guy is innocent so i'm going to fight for it so these are the two options that we have and i know unfortunately a lot of the people uh take the other option to back off well i would say this to that that you know, I have waited 35 years because Temujin corrected me. It wasn't 34. He just finished 35 years. So I'd say that, hey, I waited 35 years for the system to correct itself. Mm-hmm. But it did not. Mm-hmm. So we still have the two options. Be quiet and wait and then see what will be done. Or stand up and raise your voice. Yeah. And and become a force that they can't push back. Yes, and and and, and I I'm telling you, Imran, it it's so hard, and I can't even imagine what Tamojin goes through and feels. You know, these dips and valleys, these peaks in these trenches that he you know experiences throughout the years. You know, with the appeals and the in the you know. Um, the different steps that this whole process has taken and you know God's in control and God will open those doors when you know at, at the right time and and it's and it's hard I, I can't again I can't even imagine what he goes through um, you know and, and I, I mean I just God love him for his attitude and his positivity and for you know, I, I would be lashing, I've, and I've done it. I've lashed out in anger. I've lashed out in frustration. And I have to be really careful because I can't destroy all of the work that these good people have done for, for all these years fighting for him. And, and it could easily be undone. You know, I mean, it doesn't take very much to, you know, for me to say one thing yeah. that's going to offend somebody with a big ego in Lansing that they're going to be like, you know what, I'm not going to help that guy through him, you mm-hmm. know. I don't yeah. care what the evidence says, and and it's hard because I love him so much, and I do get frustrated, and I have, you know, sent out things that I'm on a, I'm not proud of. I shouldn't have done that. I sh- I did it in the heat of the moment. I didn't set down my phone and walk away and and think about what I did. I went back and deleted it, and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But you know, maybe it was seen, maybe it wasn't. Maybe that's part of the reason why he's still delayed. I don't know. I I I get very you know, it's just hard. I, I, I don't know. Don't know the answer. All I know is they have the control. They have, they have his fate in their hands. So, you know, I mean, God does, God does, but you know, they can, uh, they can drag it out if they want. And, and, um, you know, you have to be very 
just you just have to be very careful in this fight and, and it's a war it's a war it's not a fight it's a war and it's just like i said it's every single day and it's it's always something and and you have to you know you have to win these tiny little battles and you do that by you know by appeasing these big egos and giving them the opportunity to do the right thing and to you know stay positive and it's hard it's it's one of the hardest things i've ever done you know, because you want to hold them accountable. You want to lash out. You want to say, like, this is so unjust. How can you not feel our pain? How can you not realize, you know, that an innocent man has spent 35 years, and all you have to do is, is sign your name to a document saying, you know what, I've read enough. I've seen enough. I trust the opinion of Carl Levin. I trust the opinion of Dave Moran. I trust the opinion of Val Newman. I trust the opinion of, you know, insert the other hundred supporters that we have, great supporters, you know, proving innocence, all of these organizations, the same law firm that our governor went to school, Dixon Wright, supports Temujin. I mean, you know, it's just, it's beyond it's beyond belief for me that it, it hasn't been done yet. For some reason, it hasn't been done, but we know there's still a chance. There's still an opportunity for them to do the right thing, and that's what we have to hold on to. Yeah. Um, the truth is that no matter how much people will try to hide the reality, the facts, the truth, the truth uh, finds its way they can delay it they can push it cover it up do whatever they can but uh, but god is in charge and that is literal so the people can do the shenanigans that they want for as long as god will allow it but eventually he's going to pull the rug yeah and uh, and uh, you know uh, there is judgment coming to everyone so i mean for me it's pride an arrogance, uh, arrogance without the truth. You know, you can be arrogant if you're truthful, but this is like this is arrogance without the truth. And uh, and God talks about it, and then He He's shown us through His books what He does to people like that. Absolutely. Uh, but you touched on another thing, you know, Temujin's attitude, which is I don't I shouldn't use the word attitude. Temujin's approach, I guess, that you know. You know, when I was doing this interview, by the way, I thought something was wrong in the audio and I was trying to clear it up. But then I realized and I said, no, Imran, you fool. This is, I could hear the chains. They put handcuffs and chained him while he was doing a phone interview. I mean, this guy, you know, who wouldn't harm a fly? I mean, he calls himself a ninja, but he wouldn't (laughs) harm anyone. I know. So this guy... This guy who, who who used to live on fr- fruit juices and natural herbs, mm-hmm. uh, he he's gonna harm someone. So so he, am I correct to say that those were because I didn't hear back from him. I wrote it. I asked him, but were those chains? He was handcuffed. He's handcuffed and he's talking to you on the phone. I, I would have to ask him to confirm that. I'm not sure, but if it that's what it sounded like, I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm not sure how the process is when you call as media versus when he calls me from the booth in the hallway with a hundred other prisoners standing around for the 15 minute calls. I know there's a separate process and I do know that he has to be brought up front. I know for visitation, he's brought up in chains. So I would assume that that's true. That's correct. But I, I don't know that for sure, yeah. but I know that the booth is in the um, right next to the visiting room where I visit him. And I know that he has to be brought up in chains for that. So I would, I would assume, I would say that that's probably an accurate, um, mm. an accurate statement, but I can't, I can't confirm a hundred percent, but I, it sounds correct. So, you know, something that a lot of other, something that would resonate with a lot of other uh, spouses who have their loved ones incarcerated, especially the ones who are innocent. What happens? You go there, tell us about it. Take us through because we, none of us have seen it. What happens? You enter yeah. the door What? So it's, security? You know, it's, it's, there's what we see and then there's what actually happens that we don't hear about. Um, I've heard from the exonerees what the prisoners go through. And 
Temujin himself has not told me this, but I know it happens. And it, it's disturbing. It's frustrating. It's, it's just, it makes the visit, it puts a different, um, you know, it, it, it dampers everything I think about when I think about, oh, I'm so excited and I get to go see him. I, you know, after I heard from the exonerees and I've heard what he has to go through at the end of those visits, which you can imagine, yeah. um, the searches, yeah. it, it bothers me that he has to go through that just to see me, you know? So when I go to the prison and see him, of course, you know, they, the administration does a great job of, you know, making it seem like it's this clean place that it's not as bad, you know, behind the walls before they bring him into the room than what I'm seeing when I walk in and I go through the process. Um, it, I mean, it's not pleasant and cheerful, um, but it's also not exactly what what my experience and perception is and the, pub, the general public is different than what the inmates go through for sure. So when I pull up to the prison, you know, there's no cell phones, no weapons. There's these signs. There's this, you know, huge, um, you know, gate and there's a long driveway and you have to make sure that your car's secure and you're not allowed to bring your cell phone and you're not allowed to wear a watch and you, um, they count all of your jewelry. They, you know, they do uh, a pat down, they check your identification, they mark your hand with an invisible marker, they tag you with a, um, a bracelet, Man. they, they um, you know, make you take your socks and shoes off and they check the bottom of your feet and they you know, um, pat you down and, you know, they, you know, if in the summer, I know, you know, many girls, you know, depending on what, what the clothing they wear, you know, they're turned back because they have something on that, you know, is inappropriate. I've actually been turned down because, um, one time I had, um, uh, I had a, a camisole underneath um, and then I also had a leather jacket, but it had a zip up mm. and it was zipped all the way up and I had a shirt on underneath mm -hmm. and they made me go back and take off the, the zipper. The zipper is somehow a threat, even though I mean, I don't know how it's a threat, but, uh, they made me go back and change and take, you know, and to put on a, just a regular, I put on a regular sweater, um, and that was fine. Um, but, and so it's, 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 um, you know, they have all the control and they like to exert that control and they'd like to tell you, you know, um, you know, how you're breaking the rules and they could be different depending upon who's working that day. You know, uh, they're not consistent from facility to facility. Um, you know, and so when you, when you go there, it's it's an eye opener for sure. You're 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 a little bit paranoid. You're a little bit. I mean, these people are wearing guns and have tasers and are, um, you know, many of them have kind of this chip on your on their shoulder that you can kind of tell. You know, they're just they they have to have that control and they have to even though we're public, we're not. They don't have control. We're not the prisoners, but they sure want us to know that they run the ship and that you know, we're not going to go in until they call us. And if they call us late, then, oh, well, too bad. Your your visit's just cut short because, you know, they can make up any excuse under the sun from it's COVID to, you know, the sergeant's not here mm -hmm. to it's count time to whatever. And and I've actually sat out in the lobby, in the, in the visiting room before where it's been full, it's been packed. And I went in and I checked in and I sat and I watched... 20 people go ahead of me and I was on time for my visit I was early for my visit and they still made me sit there and I went up several times and I was highly upset because I I I was just so upset because I sat in that waiting room for nearly an hour and I had been up to the front like three times and shift had change had occurred and different people were in and the one girl that had checked me in I think intentionally was trying to you know, just pushed me to the bottom of the list and then shift change came in and she was gone and then somebody else was there. And it was just, it was all a game and it was frustrating and it was upsetting. And I know 
you know, it was upsetting to him as well because he's worried. He's thinking, you know, is she in a car accident? I just talked to her. Like she was on her way here. Is she okay? Why, you know, did she get sent home? What, what happened? Is she, you know, like it's frust, it's scary and it's, um, it's stressful for both of us. And then, you know, you get in and you see him and he's like, what the heck happened? You know, are, you know, why did that take so long? And I talked to you, what, what did you do? You know, he's like upset and worried and, you know, and then you're just like, you're just as upset because, you know, somebody at the front desk decided to play a game with you. So uh, you can you can hold his hand. So prior to COVID, we used to be able to sit right next to each other and hold hands. I could put my I could put my head on his you know his his arm and I, he could put his arm around me. Um, I could hold his hand. We could you know do that for our entire visit. But now you know because of COVID, they've got a separated. Um, plexiglass shield we're six feet apart we sit across from each other on a table we can only give each other a hug um, at the beginning of our visit and at the end of our visit no kissing we must wear our masks Um, you know it's very it's very cold it it, I mean I I know the hug means a lot to both of us it's still it's better than nothing Um, but you know they use any excuse they can to take away from you and they never give anything back they just constantly take and take and that's one of the reasons why Temujin fights as hard hard as he does for prisoners and he you know has these lawsuits pending it's always because of the rights that are being taken from them and he's trying to fight for everybody he very rarely fights just for himself and he has he doesn't file petty grievances you know for himself um he only files grievances when it impacts large groups of people and when rights are being violated. I was just picturing him, man. I mean, he would he, probably when he hugs you the last, you know, he takes that smell with him until the next yeah. visit. He sure does. So in, in closing, what do you think you would say to all those thousands of spouses who are fighting for their innocent husbands and wives? What would, what would be your message to them? Well, I think, you know, it, it is so important to keep up that fight every single day. And as hard as it is, you know, we, we will never see what they're dealing with on the inside. And it's much worse. I mean, the stress and the, the pain that we feel and we experience is nothing in comparison to what they feel. And they won't always show it to us. So I would encourage everybody listening to continue to, you know, pick up that sword and fight for your loved one on the outside and try to raise your voice. Your voice is the one thing that they muffle of your loved one. So you have a voice. So it's really important to get out there and to get out of your own comfort zone and speak and to talk about these injustices and to talk about the mold in the prisons and the food and how horrible the living conditions are because if the legislators don't know it'll never get changed and you have to be that person um, that loved one you have to defend them and and you have to do that consistently and constantly I mean it just literally can't end it's a war until they're out until they're home it's a war and the war that you're fighting if you saw the inside of that prison and you knew really what your loved one was going through, you would fight a lot harder and they won't tell you. And it's really hard for them. They they will never be able to heal when they're being con- constantly traumatized. So when they call you and they're upset or if something happens and they're frustrated or short with you, you have to realize that they're calling they're they're saying these things out of a place of hurt and so you have to always approach them with compassion because you'll never know what they're dealing with in there you'll never know you'll never know the the pain that they're going through and so until you hear a little bit more from other prisoners or exonerees talk about what it's really like inside there you know you you just won't know and so that's why it's so important to fight and I just encourage you all to continue in the fight because 
You would want somebody fighting for you if you were in there, especially if you were innocent. This is Fair Play on JusticeNews.net. Justice News.net.